0: Welcome to Palmdale United Methodist Church's podcast for Sunday, December 30th, 2018. May God use this as a blessing to you today. And now, Pastor Aaron Stenberg. O oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O oh God, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. So my father is a little bit of a romantic when it comes to giving Christmas gifts to my mom. His face just lights up with glee as she opens the wrapping, and even though she repeatedly tells him that she doesn't want or need anything for Christmas, it really is just a a delight to see how happy he is as she discovers whatever treasure he has given to her. And while it might not be something valuable, monetarily speaking, the gifts are always something that are meaningful to her. For example, my, my mom has a thing for lighthouses. Don't ask me why, I can't explain it, but maybe there's something whimsical or nostalgic about them, or it transports her to another place, I, I don't know. But for the past 10 years or so, my father has gotten her a lighthouse ornament of some kind each Christmas, which is why it was so strange this year. As we opened the boxes of Christmas decorations, we uh, strung the lights on the tree, we, we set up the nativity scene, we started to hang the ornaments, and we realized that every single lighthouse was missing. We looked at the tree, we looked at the ornaments left in the bin, you know, little crafty things made of macaroni that my three siblings and I, Elmer, glued together over the years, but, but no lighthouses, none. Apparently it is dangerous to live in the same home for 38 years. Plus years. The garage and, and the attic become like black holes designed to Grinch like steal Christmas away. And uh, not to leave you in suspense, but this story doesn't have a happy ending. They still haven't found <laughs> these ornaments, and they looked. But God knows where they are, I'm sure, and they will find them eventually. But I'm sure all of us have lost something at some point in our lives. So I personally have the undeniable talent of losing my keys no matter where I am. Here at church, at home, I'm visiting friends, and one memorable time at Universal Studios as I was riding the Harry Potter ride. You know that ride where it tips you here and it tips you there and it kind of tips you backwards, and and I could literally feel my keys in slow motion fall out of my pocket and land at the base of the Whomping Willow. (laughs) And they don't shut that ride down either. Like, I had to stay at the park until they closed to get those things back. But we, we lose or we misplace, or, you know, we, we forget where that safe place is, you know, that strategic location that we've deliberately used so that we will not lose whatever thing it is. And it's not just things that we lose. We sometimes misplace family members as well, right? My, my brothers had a tendency to wander away quite frequently when they were little, and my parents had to resort to this leash-type thing, right, where they put the Velcro, Velcro on the wrist. I don't know if they use that anymore. I, I've seen it in backpack form, but it happens to the best of us, and even to Mary and Joseph. You know, our Scripture today reassures us that even the Holy Family sometimes loses the Son of God. (laughs) But joking aside, today's passage is, is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. It's the only story in the New Testament that refers to Jesus as a youth. It's a glimpse of that time between Jesus as an infant and then Jesus grown into a man and starting his ministry. And there were many stories that were told and created and shared uh, because of this gap of information of this time period of Jesus as a boy. There were stories that were speculating as to what Jesus might have been like as a child or even a tween. Uh, But these stories are not what we consider canon. That is the official scriptural texts that we find in the Bible, those texts that we understand to be inspired by God and authoritative for the church. These other writings we consider to be apocryphal writings, ancient works that contain Christian themes, they contain Christian ideas, but, but they don't quite rise up to the level of scripture. They were never considered authoritative in the life and the practice of the early church but they can be quite interesting to read, such as the infancy gospel of Thomas. Not to be confused with the gospel of Thomas, but in this text we have this story of Jesus as a young boy of about five, and he's making birds out of mud. And then he claps his hands, and he watches them fly away. But our text this morning is canon. It comes from the gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verse 41. And not only does it give us a glimpse of Jesus as a youth, but also a a flash of insight as to what his family life was like. Now, every year, his, Jesus' parents, went to Jerusalem for the festival of Passover. Now, Jesus is being raised in a family that is devout and is observant to the customs and the traditions of Judaism in his day. And every year, they would would travel those 65-some miles uh, from Nazareth to Jerusalem for Passover. And most likely, they would stay there for the festival of uh, the unleavened bread as well. And they would remember the Exodus story, how God passed over the homes and spared the lives of the firstborn sons and eventually brought them out from under the captivity of the Egyptians and into the promised land. And so this feast was originally celebrated in their homes. But when the temple was built, according to Deuteronomy 16.5, God told the people, you are not permitted to offer the Passover sacrifice within any of your towns that the Lord your God is giving you, but at the place that the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for his name. Only there should you offer the Passover sacrifice in the evening at sunset, the time of day that you departed from Egypt. And so, obedient to the law, Mary and Joseph followed this decree, just as they complied with Emperor Augustus and traveled back to Bethlehem to be registered and for Mary to give birth. But the years have now gone by since that infant was laid in a manger. The shepherds have gone back to the fields, the the angels are out and about doing their angelic things, the magi have returned to their lands. And Mary and Joseph have returned to Nazareth to raise their son. But they continue to remain faithful and observe the customs. And life continues on. And now Jesus is about 12. Now for those of you who have 12-year-olds, for those of you who have had a 12-year-old at one point, and for all of us who were in fact 12 at one point in our lives, we can probably agree that that things are starting to change at this age. There is hopefully a a maturing that is happening, a sense of moving from from childhood to becoming a more independent being. And so we have the Holy Family, including 12-year-old Jesus, and they've come to Jerusalem once again for the festival. And when we encounter them, much like our homes the day after Christmas— The celebration is now over. The people are heading home. The time for cleanup has arrived. And there's this sense of getting back to our everyday lives. And so likewise, Mary and Joseph, they've packed their things, and they are traveling with their extended family, their family and friends, back to Nazareth. Verse 43. When the festival was ended... And they started to return. The boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents did not know it. Assuming that he was in the group of travelers, they went a day's journey. Then they started to look for him among their relatives and friends. What happened? Did Jesus get distracted and lose track of time, as young boys and girls tend to do? Was it deliberate? We don't know, but one thing we can tell from this passage is that Mary and Joseph don't seem to be helicopter parents. You might think that raising Jesus, they would be a little bit overprotective, but they are, they are traveling back for a whole day, and they're probably making camp at night when they finally realize that Jesus… Is nowhere to be found. And this is understandable, right? Because they are traveling back with not only their family, but their extended family and their neighbors and their relatives and their friends in a huge caravan of people. And so they probably just assumed that Jesus was hanging with his friends and they would see him later in the day. I personally find it kind of humorous how Luke understates this moment in time. So Mary and Joseph, here they are, their son is missing. They've traveled a whole day away from a huge city full of people, and they can't find him. And all Luke says is, then they started to look for him among their relatives and friends. Have any of you ever lost someone in a mall? Yourself? (laughs) Or in an amusement park? Or in your local grocery store, even? Or have you been the one that's gotten lost? It can be absolutely terrifying. And I can't even imagine how worried Mary and Joseph must have been. And Luke goes on to say, When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. Can't you just picture them running through the city streets, retracing their steps, frantically calling out Jesus' name? And after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking questions. I could just picture Mary and Joseph racing up the temple steps, looking high and looking low around each and every corner, and all of a sudden there is Jesus, surrounded by a group of rabbis in deep conversation. And Mary and Joseph, they, they skid to a halt, and they're frantically trying to catch their breath, and they see their son calmly going about his day. I wonder how I would have reacted. I wonder if I would have been angry or incredulous or pure shock or just sheer relief. Now Joseph was apparently speechless, but Mary seemed to hold it together pretty well. Verse 48. And his mother said to him, Child, why have you treated us like this? Look, your father and I have been searching for you in great anxiety. And he said to them, Why were you searching for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he said to them. In his father's house, the temple. The temple is an important place in Jesus' life and ministry. It is at the temple that he is dedicated where Simeon and Anna recognize him as the Messiah. The temple is where his parents find him, deep in discussion and asking questions of the teachers. And Luke tells us it's not just the rabbis, but all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. The temple is the place where, where others see something in Jesus that even his parents miss. So it's not just things or people that we can overlook. Sometimes we can miss seeing the gifts, the grace, or God's calling in one another, or even in ourselves. Sometimes it takes those who are not our kin to see things in us that our own families cannot. And to be perfectly honest, Jesus can have some challenging things to say to us about family. In Luke 14, 26, Jesus even says, Whoever comes to me and does not hate his father and mother cannot be my disciple. This morning we see that the temple is indeed his father's house, but it is his house as well. And it is a place where family has become redefined. And I believe that Jesus here is not denying the importance of family, but stretching our understanding of what family actually is he's drawing the circle wider. Not only will Jesus widen the circle past immediate and extended family and friends, but beyond even the house of Israel, until all who hear the sound of his voice will be offered the good news of God's embrace. John 14, 1. Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many dwelling places. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself so that where I am, you may also be. And you know the way to the place where I am going. Now, this is, this is good news for all people. There are enough dwelling places There are many dwelling places, enough for all. And we all know the way. Jesus shares this with his closest friends, his disciples, and it is a beautiful, powerful moment. But then Thomas, one of his disciples, pipes up and says, But Jesus, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Families are complicated. In whatever size and whatever form they come in, there are miscommunications and there are misunderstandings. This morning, Mary and Joseph weren't on the same page with Jesus. And we can see that poor, poor Thomas has completely missed the point. All of our relationships, all of our families are messy in different ways. And that's okay. I love that Luke shows us this morning a glimpse of Jesus' family life that isn't perfect. Regardless of his intentions or what Mary and Joseph should have known, Jesus did cause his parents to worry. But our passage closes with this. Then he, Jesus, went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. His mother treasured all these things in her heart, and Jesus increased in wisdom and in years and in divine and human favor. The founder of Methodism, the Anglican priest John Wesley, believed that this passage provides a practical teaching for us today. As we travel this path of discipleship, our prayer is that we become more like Jesus, that we follow Jesus more closely each and every day. And Wesley points out to us this morning that Jesus, even though he is perfect, he continued to grow in perfection. And so no matter where we are on our faith journey, there is always room to love God and to love one another more. And for me, and maybe for you, the holiday of Christmas encapsulates this ideal of love. But oftentimes, to me, it seems that Christmas is narrowed down to one day or a day and a half. I mean, yes, we have ample time of hearing the Christmas carols, at the store, we have lots of time of gift buying, of the hustle and bustle of the holiday, but when is it that we actually celebrate? Maybe we've gone to the Christmas Eve service, we've woken up the next morning, we've dug into our stockings, we've gathered under the Christmas tree, we've, we've opened the gifts, and we've probably eaten a really delicious meal, but are we missing something? One of my favorite Sunday school songs is called I Am the Light of the World. And it's based on a poem uh, called Now the Work of Christmas Begins. And it's written by Howard Thurman, who is, a, who is a philosopher, a theologian, an educator, and a civil rights leader. And he writes this. When the song of the angels is stilled, when the star in the sky is gone, when the kings and the princes are home, When the shepherds are back with their flocks, the work of Christmas begins. To find the lost, to heal the broken, to feed the hungry, to release the prisoner, to rebuild the nations, to bring peace among the people, and to make music in the heart. Christmas is not just one day, Christmas is not just even one season. We all have been welcomed into the nativity scene as part of the family. And so what does this mean for us today? Well, maybe today is the day that we start to forgive our families for not being perfect. Maybe we stop trying to compare our families with others. Maybe today is the day we return to a family member and we tell them just how important they are to us. Maybe today is a day that we speak God's love into a child's life, and we remind them that they are gifted by God in unique and powerful ways. Maybe today is a day where we start viewing everyone we meet as our very own sibling. True, the decorations are coming down. We are planting or boxing or tossing our Christmas trees. The leftovers are probably sitting in our fridge But the Christmas message is still here, and we have a whole year to celebrate. Thanks be to God.